Hey everyone, welcome to Very Unreasonable Things. I'm Billy Bone. I'm joined by Josh Lindsay. Today we're going to be talking about Emilio Estevez, Repo Man versus Maximum Overdrive. Josh has got the synopsis, so he's going to fill us in and we're going to get started. Hopefully you got a couple alcoholic beverages on hand, because I don't know what the fuck happened in one of these movies. Go ahead, Josh. Yeah, this is a uh, an Emilio Estevez uh, celebration. Um I'll be honest, I don't know why you picked these two movies. I'm glad I did watch one. But going Emilio versus Emilio, it it felt like a time cop when Ron Silver met Ron Silver <laughs> and they combined and they imploded on each other. And I feel less of a man after watching two back-to-back Emilio Estevez. I was always told that Repo Man was a cult classic. There's a there's a lot to dissect with that, and um, and Maximum Overdrive. Any, I don't mean any slight towards Repo Man. Just putting it out there. I don't know what I watched, but I will say, I think it might be a genius movie. Um, there, I uh, there was definitely stuff happening with Repo Man. I don't know what the fuck I watched either. I feel like maybe I'm not smart enough to dissect it. And I okay. thought I was a yeah. I thought I was a pretty I thought stuff, I was yeah. a pretty intelligent guy, but maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm an idiot. Maybe Repo Man is just above my level. And then, you know, Maximum Overdrive. I just thought, hey, here's another campy Emilio movie with Stephen King coked out of his mind. So I was like, hey. We got one off the wall movie, another off the wall movie. Let's fucking put them together and see what happens. Yeah. And sadly, magic didn't happen (laughs) because, you know, if anybody's listening, I know a lot of people around our age probably have pretty fond memories of maximum overdrive. It ages like milk. It really does. Mm, I Um, think, I think milk might be being generous, but yeah. I mean, it is pretty evident that you had somebody behind the camera who had no idea what the fuck they were doing. At least he had the wisdom after the fact to admit it. Probably once he got clean and sober, but still. He's yeah, like, I was going to say, uh, I think clean and sober probably helps your 2020 vision. Yeah. Anyways, um, I'm interested to hear what you guys say about Repo Man. So let's uh, let's let's get that uh, synopsis. The year is 1984, and the fad of repossessing vehicles is sweeping the nation. Everywhere, kids are opting out of dressing up as their favorite superheroes for Halloween, and instead choosing to go as their favorite Repo Man. Almost in unison, kids say no thanks to dressing up as He-Man or Luke Skywalker, and begin to wear cut-off gray sweatshirts with nacho stains. Or oversized gray suits, also with nacho stains. And once dressed for success, the kids begin to pester their parents with comments like, I wish your ass would miss a payment on your Pontiac Donna, because I'm going to take that motherfucker. And that is where we begin our movie. I think. I'm not entirely sure what I just watched. The movie stars Martin Sheen's second favorite son, Emilio Estevez. He plays a character named Otto, who after getting fired from his job for working, 
and getting cucked by his girlfriend and best friend, who soon finds solace in the arms of everyone's favorite uncle, Harry Dean Stanton, who shows Otto the ropes about making Americans pay for their attempt at achieving the American dream by owning a Buick. (laughs) But things soon go tits up in this comedy, sci-fi movie, socio-political film. Coming of age. Coming of age, it's definitely satirical, and I'll be honest, I have no idea what I just watched. This could be a masterpiece. There's enough here to warrant that I think repeat viewings would reward that. So instead of making jokes, I'm just going to give you a checklist on what you would see in this movie, and you can decide if this movie is for you. Multiple drug use. Check. Exploding bodies. Check. Flying radiated cars. Check. Convenience store robberies. Check. The same store being robbed. (laughs) Check. Aliens. Check. Woman with a robot arm. Check. Stoned hippie Christian parents. Check. Car chases. Check. Napoleon Dynamite. Check. And product placement. Absolutely fucking not. Um, It's... Funny that you said Napoleon Dynamite because I, I that's immediately what I thought too when I saw his friend. I'm like, what the fuck? It's like Jesus. I don't yeah, know if that was his friend. Honestly, I, well, I don't know. Like everybody treats each other like shit in this movie, so who knows? But yeah, uh, fucking Repo Man. Um, like I said, you know, what the fuck did I watch? You know, like I said, I heard it was a cult classic and, you know, it's it's like, hey, here's a reason to watch this movie. Picked it up relatively cheap, you know, watched it. Um, I I will tell you one thing that I liked that stood out to me just right off the bat, though, was the music. And I'm not talking. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not talking about just like the, the licensed music, you know, like they played Suicidal Tendencies. And I don't really like that song because it's just that dude talking over music. But the, uh, the every time that like if they went on a chase or something like that, you know, they had a had an instrument playing, and I can't remember the sound, but it matched the tone, right? I did like the music. Uh, I like the music. Um, Otto, I mean, Emilio Estevez being a punk rocker, right? Trying to be hard ass. You see him in the beginning. You know, he tells his boss, "Fuck you," and he he's out. He goes to his little party, you know, they're moshing around or whatever, bumping into each other. It reminded me of American History X. Like that scene where um, Derek Vineyard, I don't know, there's a couple of scenes where it's just a bunch of skinheads just moshing to no concert. <laughs> it feels like. Yeah. And then he's, you know, he's about to. He's supposed to fuck his girlfriend, you know, they're getting ready to have sex or whatever. And I, I can't remember exactly what happened, but he, he steps out He comes back and she's sleeping with Duke. And I, I guess, I don't know, maybe this is supposed to be a representation of the, uh, the punk lifestyle. Like, Oh man, you know, you missed your chance, buddy. Now I'm in here. I mean, she didn't waste any time between no, getting that beer. No, she didn't. But it's funny on those credits though. The credits were sort of doing this aerial view of Edge City, which I guess, you know, is supposed to be a stand-in for L.A. 
zooming in on this like um, this green and black map of Edge City. Every time they were zooming in, it looked like the credits were trying its damnedest not to do a star wipe. (laughs) (laughs) The girl star wipe. That reminds me of The Simpsons. All right, I had a star wipe. Dad, there's other things besides star wipes. (laughs) Star wipe. Uh, that op- that opening scene though, when they uh they were fucking driving around and they they uh looked in the trunk and it just left the boots there. I mean, that was some cheesy ass fucking effects. Now, did you notice uh, the highway patrolman's outfit? Uh, I mean, I I noticed it. I didn't pay too close attention to it. Um, it was like four times too big for him. Like uh, they originally cast somebody bigger. Another thing I did like and. And this is where I think you hit on it in the uh, in your synopsis, though. And I feel like the uh, the movie has a message that's just hidden under a bunch of absurdity. But literally, none of the products had it was no product placement, right? If they grabbed a beer, it was in a white can that said beer. Mm-hmm. If they you know if they grabbed milk, it was in a white jug that said milk or some shit like that. Like everything was literal. Like you want to drink. And here's a can that said drink. When you first notice it, and you notice it at the very beginning when um, Otto's working at the grocery store in Napoleon Dynamite, and it's very just um, eye-jarring because it's everything blue and white. That's the, the generic packaging. And at first you're like, oh, this movie's cheap. It is cheap. It only costs $1.5 million. But as the movie goes on, you're like, oh, this is... This is satirical because I love it when he comes home to his parents. Finally, parents, not, you know, we'll get to that. And he opens up the fridge and he just grabs an open can that just says food. Oh, yeah, that's right. The the food. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I got you, movie. I know what you're doing now. Yeah. You want to heat it up? No, I like it the way it is, mom. (laughs) <laughs> like she was gonna get off that couch. Yeah, yeah. And then the fucking parents uh, sitting on the couch. Typical. I I don't want to say typical, but I mean, isn't that how I guess most kids feel about their parents? Just mindless drones that have no clue about their life, and then they're just. And then also, I guess, uh, being influenced by TV uh, and religion and it's like we need your money and like hey dad i was thinking about finishing college or going back to school but can i get that money first and he's like no son we gave the money away yeah and, and i mean they were they were stoned too you know oh, yeah like, they were like she was rolling a joint when he came in and the drug use in this movie just rampant oh yeah they were such a great i mean not yeah. And then, uh, what's his name? Not Harry Dean Stanton, but the other guy. Oh, man. If you're, if, if you're asking me to remember fucking names, um, you'd be better off selling Bibles in El Salvador. <laughs> it was uh, Light, of course. He was named after a beer. He helped Harry Dean Stanton. Repo that car. And then when Harry Dean Stanton offered him, well, first he was against being a repo man 
when he went up in there and they offered him the beer and he poured it out and he wasted a perfectly good beer. And he's like, you know, fuck you. I don't want to be a repo man. You know, like there's scum of the earth or something. And then he changes his mind. He's like, so I can make like $25 a car or however much it was. And he's like, it's just kind of, and this, like I said, the movie was all over the place and it had, it was so many different things. And with him and Harry Dean Stanton, you're thinking like, uh, like a mentor mentee type relationship or a father son type relationship that he wasn't get. And it's kind of what they hint at, but then they don't actually, they're not always together. He interacts with everybody else too. Like Otto's out doing jobs with other people. And it, yeah. So, so later on in the movie, and that, and that comes into play later on when, you know, they get to the finale and it's almost like, I didn't feel like the relationship was there. I thought that's what we were going for, but then we went in 50 other directions because the movie didn't have, it all came together at the end, but it went in so many different threads that it was hard to keep up with. Right. You had fucking Emilio uh, doing jobs and Harry Dean Stanton telling him about the repo code. And then the other guy's like, fuck that. I got a gun. Yeah. And it's the, the entire repo code. Like what Harry Dean Stanton lays out for him, it's broken throughout the entire movie. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. Like, again, like, I feel like somebody smarter than me should watch this movie and and explain it because I feel like that was obviously, I think everything in this movie is on purpose. Yeah. You know, it, it, that's what it feels like. And it, it feels like you just, you're missing there's certain things you're missing on your first viewing because you, your first time watching this movie, you don't know what the fuck you're watching because we, you never find out like what you said earlier, you know, um, there's a highway patrolman who pulls this dude over and immediately the highway patrolman immediately says, let me look in the trunk. <laughs> and then he just, whatever it is in the trunk, he goes up. Yeah. He goes, he's, he's gone. And you never find out what's in the trunk. The only thing that we know about the trunk is that it's causing that car to emit radiation or it's emitting radiation through the car and it's uh, fucking up the dude that's driving it. Right? Yeah. Like you never see it. Uh, uh, Otto, it meets the uh, girl. And once again, don't ask me names in this movie, but he meets the girl like fucking walking down the road. Right. And he picks her up and she starts talking about aliens and shit and all that. And, it seems like she's trying to blow the lid. That's what I took off. I took from it at first. Like she's trying to, yeah, blow she was the running lid. from the government, man. Yeah. yeah. But ends up fucking working with the group. Yeah. No, like, it makes no sense. Yeah. The one thing I'll say for this movie is it's quotable. Uh, it, it does have some stuff in there. Like you could quote. And I guess her character at least gave us the part where Emilio Estevez went to see her after they had sex the first time in the car, which is a, a very odd scene. Almost seemed kind of, Benny Hillish, I guess, the way they fast forwarded no. it. Again, I think that was on, like, the more I talk about this movie, I think it's kind of genius. But he, when he went to see her at her job and he was already getting undressed and he's, you know, she's like, well, we can't do this. <laughs> I'm working. He's like, well, can I at least get a blowjob? And then her boss walks in like, this is just a regular Tuesday. Some yeah. dude drop is in trial in front of Susie or whatever her name is. I don't know. Yeah, it's just uh, it's like I said, it was so many different things going on. Like, you know, was it a coming of age story? Was it a was it a buddy comedy? Was it a 
father-son type relationship? Was it a fucking conspiracy movie? And I think it was all of those things. It's just that none of them were ever fleshed out that much. It was almost like the whole, the car thing was happening in the background until the very end, right? And then it started coming to the forefront. But you got fucking Emilio, like I said, running around, learning how to repo, gets his ass kicked by a bunch of people because he... I did like that scene where he tried to uh, fucking repo the car. He was talking to the old lady and he's like, yeah, you know, I'm about to do this and this and her fucking children come in there. And he's like, oh, shit. And she's like, yeah, this young man was just telling me how he's not going to repo my car. And then he tries to do it anyways. <laughs> and it's fucking up on jacks. You know, they come out there and whoop his ass. Yeah. And there's also like the scene where he goes into the bar to meet. The uh, the government lady with a robot arm. I mean, this movie is fucking everywhere. But and his girlfriend, get, who's working for her. Yeah, but before we get to that, um, because once again, it seemed like she was against him, and she got fucking caught by him, right? Yeah, I know. And then she it, started like trying to torture Emilio Estevez. Yeah, like you went from running from these dudes and, and then getting caught to being part of the clique. And then at the very end. She's like, take me with you. And Emilio Estevez is like, fuck no. And she's like, I didn't mean, I didn't mean to torture you. <laughs> no, I, I remember what it said. She says, uh, like, what about our relationship? And he said, fuck that. And then she's yeah. like, I'm glad I tortured you. Yeah. <laughs> but when he goes into the club to see her in the government lady who has a robotic arm that's never explained. That looks like it's just fucking wrapped in tinfoil, essentially. Yeah, yeah, because the budget didn't call for special effects. Well, and the band was playing, which was so bad. Like, the, the, the music in this movie is pretty good, but the band was just on purpose bad. And Emilio Estevez, Otto's character, is like, I can't believe I used to like these guys. Right? <laughs> and, and maybe... And this is just me reaching, so I can maybe seem like I'm smart. Maybe they sounded like that on purpose to just show an evolution in Otto's character from that that punker, you know, at the beginning of the movie. To like, because we've all got stuff that we listen to in our past, and we're like, I can't believe I listened to that. Um, and it doesn't sound good to you anymore, right? So maybe that was it. Like, the band doesn't sound good on purpose, so it can represent how it sounds to Emilio Estevez now. Kind of like in South Park when Stan started growing up in that episode. And and everything everything started, was shit. Yeah, everything sounded like shit. I mean, maybe that's what they were going for. I think that was just a – and maybe because I think this movie is, is like – is layered. But I do think it was just – Like an onion. It is like an onion. But I do think it was just a funny thing of maybe the punk culture. Maybe it was a a little jab at that. I don't know. Um, and, but oh my god! Like even when throughout this car, there's a Chevy Malibu that is a central part. It's the middle of this movie. It's everybody trying to find this uh, Chevy Malibu. Like the government, there's a twenty thousand dollar reward for the repo of it, and his ex buddies, Otto's. It's two guys and a girl. And I do, I do know them. the one name, Duke. His friend was Duke, the one with the bald head. Okay, because they go in there fucking uh, their little Robin convenience store sprees. Like every time you go into a new store, yeah, they're fucking and he's like, there. "Don't say my name." Yeah. yeah, 
And there's a scene where they they end up through reasons they ended up taking the the Chevy Malibu, and they're at the club, and the guy who's been driving around who you never know who the fuck he is, he comes up and he's like, "Hey, this is my car." Anyway, one thing leads to another, and the dude convinces one of the gang members to open the trunk. Well, he immediately um, blows up. Precipitates, evaporates, yeah. something. He ceases and, to no longer be a part of the movie. And Duke tells the chick, he's like, let's go do crime. Like, yeah. go, pay, like go get sushi and not pay for it. <laughs> I know, right? Like, yeah, let's go do crime. That stood out to me. And then also his uh, his moment where he, you could see where he wasn't as punk as he was trying to advertise himself to be. Because he's like, uh, what do you think about getting married? You know, I, I just feel like that's yeah. like the thing we should do is get married and settle down. And you're like, not all is, as, not everything is as it seems. We see you, love- Duke, you fraud. <laughs> When he's dying in the convenience store because they rob it and he gets yeah. shot. He's like, Otto, I'm sorry for what I've done. He's like, I blame society. I know, right? And then Otto's like, fuck you. He's like, you're he's just like, like you me. This. Yeah. You're just like me. Uh, uh, middle class white oh, suburban well. punk. Yeah. And then he's like, but still, I blame society. And then Otto, man, he's a... Uh, He's quick to try to get back with his other girlfriend. He's like, hey, do you think it's too late for us to be in a relationship? I I, I took that as him trying to save his life. I know, but still, uh, it, it was just like the first sign that he didn't really care about his relationship. He was just in it for blowjobs with the other girl. Because he quickly bailed on her to go fly around in a radiated car. That was killing well, people. She didn't, even know, she didn't even know what team she was playing for, though. That's true. I mean... At least you knew where the other chick stood. Oh, and I want to go back to uh, talking about the quotes in the movie um, or like the quotable lines, at least to me anyways, was when he was talking to the old dude and he's like, um, when he asked, uh, he asked the dude that he eventually gets into the car with, he's like, and he's talking about this weird random shit, you know, and he's like, did you eat a lot of acid, you know, back in the hippie days? <laughs> dude, uh, side, side tangent here. The guy who played the uh, uh, the philosophical philosopher janitor is Tracy Walter, who you might know him as Bob from Batman 89. Oh, my but God. It's been so long since I've seen Batman 89. I just recently watched Conan the Destroyer, and Tracy Walter's in that, and it's, I don't know, just seeing Tracy Walter like twice in the same week. It was nice. And he, his character so just, he is like a guy who took one too many tabs in the 60s in this movie. Yeah. You know? Hospital and then the parking garage. The movie started going off the rails. Because um, Harry Dean Stanton, you know, he was in the hospital at that point, right? Uh, Otto no, went. No, Emilio Estevez, Otto, bailed. On him, yeah, so quickly. Well, and I got that in my notes too. People started turning against each other in this movie, just like at the drop of a dime, man. Everybody's other than that one show of unity, where after Otto got beat up, and they're like, "Nah, man, Repo men stick together. We're gonna get the motherfucker that did this back," and he directs him to his old boss. 
so they could beat his ass. Which Napoleon Dynamite was in the background. Did you notice that? Yeah, he just randomly popped up, man, Napoleon. And when you when you block a shot like that, it makes it look kind of sexual. I don't know, because he's just in the background, you know? <laughs> Hell, maybe it was. But yeah, he fucking abandoned him. Abandoned him. Uh, he's ends up in a hospital, and you know, Otto comes to see him, and he's like, hey, I know about the car. Let's do a split. He's like 60-40, and he's like, who gets safe? He's like, and Otto's about to be like, well, I was thinking I would because I found a car, and then Harry Dean Stanton and then he'll- breaks his fucking rule, like you talked about, pulls a gun on him. Went, went against my idea at that time, like we were going to have this father-son type relationship. I was like, whoa, wait a minute. This is a, this is a, a different kind of fucking father-son relationship than I was thinking. But at least Emilio no, Estevez was quick to be like, I'll take 40. You got the gun. I'm good. And it was also, um, and throughout all of this, there's so much going on. This movie is like a circus. Because, again, in the backdrop of this movie is these two Hispanic characters who are car thieves. Who the repo men have a gang war with kind of like rivalry or something. Yeah. Yeah. And, and once the two Rodriguez brothers, like they come up on the 1960 Malibu Napoleon dynamite, God bless him. He's just trying to hustle. He's trying to find any job he can. He just works for this gas station now. And the Rodriguez brothers drive up in order to distract Napoleon dynamite. They tell him they're like, Hey man, you remember me? I was here yesterday. I think I left a matchbook. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's like a fucking matchbook. I'd be like, fuck you. Fuck your matchbook. Like a matchbook. Can you imagine? Be like, hey, I think I left the the lint from my belly button <laughs> inside. Do you mind going to get it? Yeah. Oh my God. I can't even. I'm going to be honest with you, man, because there was so much happening. I can't even remember like what they ended up doing at the end of the movie. I know that, you know, all these, all these threads start coming together and we end up back at the repo yard with the car. Harry Dean Stanton gets shot. Right. In the stomach. Yeah. In the stomach. Uh, Acid eater shows up. The car is fucking glowing at this point, you know, uh, bright green. I think there's helicopters flying around, right? You got the, yeah, that's what, that's who shoots Harry Dean Stanton. Yeah. You got the fucking, Otto's girlfriend, who had him tortured previously, and uh, the, the robot arm lady, they're there. And, and old acid eater, he's like, he says some profound shit that I can't remember, but gets in the car and he's like, you need to come with me. And Otto's like, yeah. And then, like we said, his girlfriend's like, what about a relationship? Fuck that. And I, I turned to my wife and I was like, that's how I'm going to start talking to you. You know, when you say something, he's like, fuck that. And then drive off. But then the car started to fly. But before that, they did an exorcism on the car. Do you see that part? They, yeah, they, they brought a preacher in who the car said to fuck off and just like shot the Bible. Yeah. But and I guess my thing, too, is with uh, Otto getting into the car. I'm assuming the one dude has like some alien ties, right? Like he's been there. Well, he'd been preaching throughout the entire movie about like. Yeah. So maybe he was in on something, you know, or maybe he was a part of something. Right. 
So maybe he's immune to the ra- to the radiation in the car. But Otto's just a regular dude eating food from a can. They're gonna go about Literally. five miles. They're gonna go about five miles, and he's gonna melt. He's gonna be dead. Yeah, it's his girlfriend. I'd be glad she dodged that bullet. Again, like you know, there was a certain point during this movie to where I had to stop taking notes, and like I'm looking at my notes now, and you know, obviously I can tell you when I stopped taking notes, and it was. Like the first 20 minutes when he walked in on his parents afterwards, I'm like, okay, like (laughs) I'm just a part of this rod now. And it's funny. This movie was written and directed by a guy named Alex Cox. And I sort of looked up his, um, his filmography after this and, uh, didn't do too much. Well, he, he stayed in the game, but it was all just C movies, D movies. But he made a movie um, in the 2000s called Repo Chick. <laughs> Repo Chick, goddamn. You know, and I can imagine probably um, like most movies that end up being cult classics, right? Didn't make any money. I'm assuming that's the case. I didn't look it up. Um, I did. Let me tell you right quick. This movie cost $1.5 million. And it made 50000 You're not too far off. It made 129000 Okay. So yeah. So I could I could see why he would have got relegated to like B movies and shit like that. Um you know, fair or not, I mean I guess that's just the drawback of writing a, a cult classic is you don't get to see the payoff for it, right? And before we move on, because I feel like we're coming to an end on Repo Man, you know, we've we both agree that it needs to be watched again, right? We gotta mm. to better understand it, to better wrap our minds around this mystery. I think this, this makes for a terrible podcast episode, but I encourage everybody to watch it and maybe watch it twice because it's hard to talk about it. Yeah. But it did have, I'm going to tell you my favorite uh, part of the movie other than uh, like the, the acid line. And it was just Harry Dean Stanton's insult to this one person when he oh, called them uh, a, Gypsy dildo motherfucker. Oh, he also like he had a couple of one-liners to where he was talking about regular folks. <laughs> He's like, "Fuck them." Alex Cox, I'm assuming, took some shit, ate some shit, saw some shit in the '60s, and Possibly. his third eye is pretty open. And I'll, and I'll, I will say this: another one thing I did take away from the movie, and it kind of goes back to. Uh, Emilio Estevez's character Otto when he's talking to Duke as he's dying, you know, and he's like, I blame society and Otto's like bullshit. You know, you're a white suburban punk like me is that they were, they were posers essentially. Right. Mm -hmm. Their life wasn't as bad as it seemed. And they weren't as hard as they made themselves out to be because both of them turned into pussies when the shit hit the fan. Like, out of the uh, out of all the uh, punk characters, and you can't see me doing air quotations, but out of all the punk characters, the girl that uh, Duke stole from Otto was the hardest character in the movie. Yeah, like she was true, and the rest of them were fake as hell and wilted as soon as, like I said, as soon as times got tough, <laughs> which is probably how white suburban punks are. I mean, because you're percent because you. You're pretending at that point, right? There's there's people out there that you can tell when they live a lifestyle 
they're about that lifestyle and you know, whatever circumstances brought them there, but you can tell those people are legit. Right. And then there's people that are trying to emulate something because it became fashionable and they're not, and you know, they're not true to that. And I think that's what, uh, maybe I'm not articulating it well, but I think that's kind of the thing here with Otto and Duke is they were emulating a fad, trying to be a part of a scene, but they weren't living that scene. It was, it was surface deep only. And then when times got tough, their true color showed. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure you're you're hitting on something that's probably pretty accurate. I just I just saw these guys as comical, and even looking back on it now, it's just these comedic characters. Yeah, I mean, I I, I feel that too. But then I'm like, was it a comedy? Because I don't know. Yeah, we talked about it. Yeah, you know? yeah. I th- I think at the heart of it, it is, I think, because if I, when I rewatch it, because there is just some funny ass shit that's going on, even in the background. You remember, you know, the security guard that works at the, uh, the repo yard? Yeah. Like there's one scene where before he's talking about, like, I served two tours in Vietnam, whatever, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a hard ass. Yeah. And then like when Harry Dean Stanton, uh, supposedly gets fired. Like he's just sitting there, like in front of the camera, crocheting. You know, and it's just like just these funny gags like that. that and doesn't just... doesn't he turn against the group also? <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's a bunch of turncoats in this movie. Yeah, you can't trust nobody besides the acid eater. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's the most peaceful one in the whole fucking movie. That's no. probably because he's immune to radiation. He doesn't give a fuck about the rest uh, of us. I do think this movie sort of takes a stand on being pro hallucinogenics. It takes a stand on something. I think we both agree on that. And yeah, uh, you know what it is. Who knows what the? I mean this this little segment of this one little of this episode. I couldn't think of a more interesting movie to dissect. But such a bad movie to dissect on a podcast. I know. Yeah. But we'd already kind of. No, nah, I mean, we set the episode in motion. Yeah, we dug yeah. our heels in. And and like I said, at the beginning of the podcast, you know, you need to be drinking. You probably need to be drinking when you're watching the movie. I'm drinking right now trying to understand it. And it's, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, it's definitely got to be a rewatch. Uh, so I can't. It's probably a movie worth watching. Right. So with with Repo Man, I can't say definitively, having watched it only one time, whether it's a movie, you know, like how I'd rate it. Like if it's something that I love or I hate, I think it's something you should definitely watch. And then you should probably watch it again. And that's what I might have to do. I might have to watch it again before I can make a judgment. Obviously, at the end of the episode, I'm going to make my judgment based on how I view it compared to Maximum Overdrive. But as a standalone, I'm not sure yet. But I definitely recommend checking it out, if for no other reason, just to see if you can figure out what the fuck's going on. No, I'd say the same. I think, um, you know, I love, I love my ratings, and I, I don't think I would do this movie any justice if I gave it a rating, especially based on right after I saw it. Because right after I saw it, I think I, I don't think I appreciated it as much until I started 
like thinking about it for this podcast. And I'm like, you know what? This, I think this movie has a lot more to offer. And I think talking this about it made it more enjoyable like that. Cause this is the first chance you and I've had to talk about it and talking mm-hmm. about it with you right now makes me kind of want to go back and watch it. Cause then I'm like, Oh yeah, this happened and that happened. You know? Yeah. That's mm-hmm. pretty cool. Yeah. And you know, I follow a lot of, not a lot, but, um, I follow a couple of the guys from the ringer podcast, um, another great movie podcast and we hate movies. And I looked up repo man on letterbox to see if any of them had seen it and rated it. Everybody like fucking four stars, four and a half stars. I'm like, okay. You remember how they used to have TV shows and they referred to them as water cooler shows. I mean, maybe it's a mm-hmm. water cooler movie where it's something you got to watch and then talk about. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that's maybe that helps bring out the uh, the value in the the movie and makes it more enjoyable. I think so, definitely. All right, so uh, good talk on Repo Man. Let's move on to the second part of this Emilio Extravaganza, Maximum Overdrive. Hit us with the details, just like that. Just hit you with the details. Hit me with the details. You don't want. You don't want foreplay here? Nah. Let's 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 move straight into it. Sometimes this is fun to jump right in. What is your history with this movie? I saw it years ago, uh, before I even knew that Stephen King was a thing. Uh, you know, or cocaine was a thing. Yeah. I mean, I was young. I, I saw it. Or parts of it. Mainly what I remember, and I'm probably any person our age, young boy that read any kind of comics, the Green, Green Goblin. Goblin. Yeah. You know, you had the fucking red eyes on the truck when it was on and shit like that. And I think that's part of the, nostal- uh, the nostalgia that makes people remember the movie more fondly than maybe what they should. It's because of the truck. Um, mm-hmm. But it had been a long time since I, I started watching it a few years ago again, but I'd quickly stopped. I don't know. I fell asleep or something like that. I think I'd put it on one night when I was going to bed and then passed out. So it's been a long time. I didn't remember. I remember the premise of it. And since when I was a child, I've obviously got the backstory, you know, like uh, Stephen King hated the way his books were being turned into movies. He hated the representations, hated what Stanley Kubrick did to the shining. Right. Even though everybody loves the shining and it was a good movie. It wasn't 100% true to the book. And there's a reason that Stephen King movies aren't true to the book. And large part of it is because Stephen King, and I think he even admitted it, can't write endings. But this is when Stephen King was, you find out Stephen King's coked out of his mind. And, you know, he's he's mad about the way his books are being represented. And so he's like, I'm going to make a movie myself. And we all saw that that preview where he's like, you prepared to uh, be scared out of your mind or something like that. And Yeah, he went all in on that trailer on this being peak or like he couldn't have sucked his dick yeah. harder. And spoilers, it's not scary. And I'm I mean, I'm not the type of person to get scared by movies, but I'm but I can represent I mean I can not represent. I can appreciate where a movie would be scary, right? The Exorcist doesn't scare me. And I think that's because I can separate myself from the movie. Uh I get scared playing video games, but that's because I'm controlling the character and I get invested in it, right? And it's a little different, but when I'm watching a movie, there's a little separation there. But you can appreciate what's scary 
about the exorcist and why people would be scared. You can appreciate what's scary about the Nightmare on Elm Street movies and recognize that they're scary movies, even if they don't particularly scare you, right? With Maximum Overdrive, there there wasn't that. Well, there's no atmosphere. There's no tension. There's no, I, and yeah, there's you're no script. It. And before we get too deep, though, yeah, uh, let's what, what your history with the movie, and then let's get that uh, that plot synopsis, and then we'll talk about it, and we'll talk about where the movie failed and where it succeeded. Well, I think my history with the movie, uh, like a lot of people, again, that's our age, is basic cable, maybe, you know, yeah, and I think maybe HBO, younger, and. You know, obviously, uh, like you mentioned earlier, the Green Goblin truck. Just, I mean, that's what you think of when you See, think it was of on the drugs. it was on the cover for the VHS, mm-hmm. I believe, and that made it stand yeah. out in video stores. And you could tell where Marvel was at, or maybe where even Stephen King was at, to where both sides would agree to do that. I can't remember when the Comic Code came into play. Um, it may have been before the Comic Code, and. Hell, you may have been able to do things like that. Or it may have been after. I don't know. Well, this is 86. It was in the 80s when the Comic Code came to be, but I I would have no idea. But that shit would not fly now. But, yeah. And, you know, I had more fond memories of this movie. Uh, I remembered enough. And then when you watch it and the backstory sort of, Obviously, once you watch it, the backstory is like, oh, that makes sense now, you know, with Stephen King's demons. And there's a couple of things else that happened sort of behind the scenes that was like, holy shit, you know, but we'll get into the plot synopsis and we'll go from there. Yeah. Maximum overdrive. (laughs) When a sexy comet passes by Earth. Earth proceeds to try to slide into the comet's DMs. But the comet, who obviously has standards and recognizes pretty quickly that the Earth is a thirst trap, <laughs> gives Earth an ultimatum in order to follow their tail feather. Make all the machines, especially big rigs and vending machines, come to life. And I can't stress especially enough, go cray-cray or face being ghosted. Earth, with the lowest of standards, obviously obliges. And that is where we find ourselves in this cocaine-addled Stephen King movie. And yet again, we are subjected to Emilio Estevez, this time playing a short-order cook at a truck stop filled with a wide variety of special and unique characters. We have Joe, a dirty redneck trucker. And then there's Max, a dirty redneck trucker. Also Steve. A dirty redneck trucker. But then there's Brad as well, who is a, goddammit, a dirty redneck trucker. Luckily, though, our survivors are helped uh, are held up in a place safe from the destruction and death caused by Optimus Prime in a truck stop. <laughs> Wait, goddammit. They are joined by an obnoxious married couple, Lisa Simpson, and her new husband, Curtis who quickly realizes the error of his ways by marrying Lisa Simpson and proceeds to run into danger multiple times in the hopes of dying. Then there's Brett, a young, attractive woman hitchhiking across North Carolina in the hopes of meeting a cute ex-convict with a dead-end job. 
and little does she know she's about to hit the jackpot with Bill. And then there's Deke, a 12-year-old boy who, after winning a Little League game, gets to celebrate with his team in the form of a vending machine. (laughs) Really, really hates his coach's nuts. Deke narrowly escapes a flying carbonated beverages and then proceeds to casually stroll around the neighborhood that is comically filled with people who decided to die while halfway out of their windows. And in a democratic vote, the trucks decide the leader of this uprising should be none other than the Green Goblin. Suck it, MCU. (laughs) As our heroes are stuck inside the Dixie Boy and after Deke crawls through a sewer tunnel... To reach the survivors, the metaphor of crawling through shit in this movie is not lost on me. The machines ask the humans to plug their holes and fill them up. And the humans oblige them because otherwise this movie would be only two acts. And after working one eight-hour shift in the sun, filling up the semis with fuel, the remaining survivors decide that hard labor isn't for them and decide a daring escape to the sewers and find a sailboat And the harbor is their only choice, which is really neither daring nor their only choice. Through scenes that are too bland to describe, the band of survivors reach a sailboat, but not before Bill goes Tobey Maguire on the Green Goblin, who attract them to the harbor, no doubt by their stench of living in a truck stop for three days. A sayonara motherfucker later, and credits roll as Stephen King calls his dealer to congratulate him on making this movie. I do want to say a few things about Stephen King before we get into the movie again. But there was a time, obviously during the 80s, where he was putting out a lot of work. And, you know, he put out some really good stuff. I love Salem's Lot. You know, everybody's read Pet Cemetery. Um, almost everybody's read It. I say almost everybody because I actually have not read It. And I started and got sidetracked. But I've, only, I've only read one Stephen King novel. The Stand. The Stand. Yeah, and I read The Stand, and, and and I've always said that Stephen King is great at world building. Um, he's great at telling the story, but he's great at making you feel about the characters, and then when you get to the end, he shits to bed, and you hit on that in the synopsis, and I guess we'll talk about it a little more later. But Stephen King also just started writing some off-the-wall shit, right? Like right here, a comet. It's literally the same plot device that Night of the Living Dead used when um, George Romero made that movie. It was a comet that caused the dead. I, I think it was a comet. Maybe it was it was something to do in space. I thought it was a comet. I may be wrong, but it caused the dead to rise from the graves. Except that wasn't enough for Stephen King. You know, it couldn't just be a fucking comet. There had to be some goddamn aliens involved because Stephen King loves his fucking aliens. I told you my thoughts on Under the Dome. I loved the book Under the Dome until you got to the end. And it turned out it was just aliens fucking with people. They essentially put like a glass dome over this part of the earth and was just, you know, fucking off the walls. And in this movie, you know, Emilio Estevez starts waxing poetic about aliens at one point and you get a little blurb at the end of the movie, the Russian satellite weather satellite shot down a UFO. God damn it. Can you lay off the fucking alien or can you just lay off the Coke? Right. And he had some out there stuff. And then once he got clean, you could see kind of a change. He was still writing. I mean, even after he got off the drugs, he was still making quality books. Uh, a lot of people like uh, the uh, the JFK book. The Dark Tower. Well, no, that was oh, 1963 was or something. 1122, 63 or something. I can't remember the exact numbers. Dark Tower. It was 1122. 
A lot of it was written was... while then it was sixty three. A lot of it was written while he was fucked up though, the Dark Tower stuff. But then he wrote the uh the Mr. Mercedes trilogy of books. Uh Mr. Mercedes and there was something else and it was something else. And those were good. He wrote um he started getting more Lovecraftian with some of his books when he wrote God damn it, what's that? Uh, Revival. Like, Revival didn't even really read like a horror novel until the very end of it, but it was very Lovecraftian. The Outsider. I, I enjoyed that. Did Did you watch the uh, series? I did. Again. I, oh, I think they botched it. I think they botched ending worse than King did, though. I don't, I don't know the, I don't know the King ending, but I do know like that movie shit the bed when it came to like the ending. I mean, the series. King's ending wasn't great, but this one was worse. Like when he wrote The Mist, when he wrote The Mist, you know, I think a bunch of people lived in his movie, or not in his movie, but in his story. And then in the movie, you know, everybody died, and he admitted it was a better ending. In the ending for The Shining, the hotel blew up, right? And now that was in the book. In the movie, it was a much different ending. You know, Jack Nicholson froze to death in the hedge maze, which was a better ending. So I mean, King's always struggled with that, but like when he was when he was coked out of his mind, some of his stories just got really fucking out there, and it was like, and I guess him getting sober actually brought him back and get a little more grounded again. Because they even made a joke about it on Family Guy, to where you know he was pitching a book. They did, and he was like, like the ah, lamp. yeah, this lamp comes alive and it starts killing people." Ah, but but this movie, it wasn't. It was all a over short the, story. Yeah, it was a short story that called Trucks. Yeah, that was. Yeah, he'd already wrote Christine. He'd already made that movie. Did we really? If you wanted to scare somebody with one of your works, why did you choose this one? Well, also, there was a movie that was made in, um, I want to say, 1973 called Frogs. And it starred a young Sam Elliott. And it was about this, uh, I want to say, like Florida plantation house or maybe Louisiana and a well to do family. And. Mother Nature decides to, every animal decides to take back what was taken from them. Yeah. Very interesting movie. And an idea that suggests machines, um, you know, whatever, Skynet, you know, you can make all the the connections there. But machines killing us, well, that, you can you can go somewhere with that and it could work. This is literally just not even cars. This is just trucks, literally just trucks. Yeah. It started off promising with the electric knife when it cut the girl's yeah. wrist and then it tried to cut yeah. into her ankle. And you're like, oh man, there's Which some is, possibilities here. Yeah. And then the arcade it literally game. died with that. Well, no, the arcade game electrocuted that one guy when he was touching the wood paneling because that's scientifically accurate. That one guy, do you know who that was? No. Giancarlo Esposito. He oh, plays. Well, yeah, he's in, from uh, Breaking Bad yeah, in yeah. The Mandalorian. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That was a young Giancarlo Esposito. Well, I didn't, I didn't catch that. Mm-hmm. But I remember Gustavo Fring. But he's yeah. really good in The Mandalorian, too. Yeah, I've seen like two episodes of The Mandalorian, if we're being honest. I don't know. I just – the the last two Star Wars movies left, left such a bad taste in my mouth. Um, and, you know, I wrote about it on the website. You know, so if you haven't read it, you can read it, my thoughts on The Last Jedi. But I will say this for those of you all that may be mad about 
me saying something about The Last Jedi, because I know there's people out there that love it. The Rise of Skywalker was infinitely worse. After The Last Jedi was made, you should have stuck with those choices. But that's not what this podcast is about. This is about Emilio Estevez, and he wasn't in those movies. But yeah, uh, it started like the vending machines when um, the coach, he's like, oh, right, we won. Let's celebrate with sodas. And he has enough money to buy exactly one soda. Because you can, you, you can, if somebody had that much change in their pocket, it would be bulging and you would hear it jingling. He pulls out two fucking quarters to buy one soda, for, I guess, for nine kids. Well, let's be honest. Like, that soda was meant for him to damage people's nuts or, or region, nether well, regions, because there was know, pipes on it. Yeah. And that's what I say. You know, we've talked about it before and I've said it before. HD ruins old movies. And in high definition, you can see that this motherfucker has like exhaust pipes coming out of it to shoot soda yeah. straight at your balls. But I will say. That was pretty graphic, though. That there were, well, there was one special effect I loved, and that was when that can hit him right in the fucking head. And you can see yeah, the oh, yeah, in his head. Graphic. That dent before he started bleeding. That was top notch. I love that. And, it, and another thing that happened throughout this movie, because Stephen King was just, he was coked out of his fucking mind, like. Um, I guess it was the, um, the lawnmower that went crazy on Deke, you know, it chased him for two seconds. Then it realized, wait, I'm a fucking lawnmower. It went crazy and hit some sort of wood structure that was meant for the movie that shattered the wood structure and a splinter flew into the, to the eye of the DP. Who was an Italian DP? God damn! Who who lost his right eye, and he later sued King for like eighteen million dollars, and it was settled out of court. But can you sue Stephen King? That was caused by a comet, and it's terrible. yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, they should have sued the comet exactly. But yeah, that fucking sucks. And you know, this is off tangent, uh, but I do want to bring this up, man, because there's there's a lot of frivolous lawsuits out there. Right. But these, the stunt actors that work in these movies that doing all these amazing things that we fucking watch on screen, it's a dangerous fucking job. And did you hear about the lady, the, the stunt woman who ended up losing her arm and had her face degloved on the set of the resident evil movie. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, rightfully she sued those motherfuckers. Cause you just ruined this woman's life. And it was honestly, it was negligence on the director's part. You know, it's, it's bad enough that you're making shitty Resident Evil movies and you keep casting your wife in all these movies that fucking suck. But he changed that stunt before that final take to where the helicopter, I believe it was the helicopter, raised one second later or something like that. And they didn't tell her about it. Well, these stunts are built on timing. So that's what caused the fucking accident. And he wasn't even the one who got sued. It, it, she sued, ended up suing somebody else. And of course, you know, instead of doing the right thing and paying this woman, because they should, because she lost her fucking arm. And I saw a picture like after the surgery of what her arm looked like when they tried to save it, it was shriveled up, man. It looked just like a big hand attached to some toothpicks. And that's fucking sad. And then to have your face degloved and stuff like that. You know, I don't, if, if you're that director and I can't remember his name, um, it wasn't Paul W.S. Anderson. What's it? Yes. Emilia Jovovich's husband. Yeah. Yeah, you should be fucking ashamed of yourself because you caused that. That's, you know, fuck your stunt. You know, 
if you're going to do something like that, then you need to run it by the stunt person. You wouldn't have done that if Mila Jovovich was on that motorcycle doing that stunt. You would have been a lot more careful. And now this woman has to live without an arm. And like I said, I mean, it's, it's a degloved face, which yeah. I don't know if anybody knows what degloving means. It is pretty graphic. Yeah. And, and, you know, fucking kudos to the, the plastic surgeons. Um, Cause I mean, you see pictures of her and she's, I think she's got a book coming out or it, it came out, but yeah, that's a pretty horrific thing. It, and it just baffles me that, you know, when you cause something like that, you're just like, no, we're not going to take care of you. You know, like Sony should fucking take care of her for life. Oh yeah. But anyways, but yeah, you know, Steven Spielberg. Um, and I hope I get this right because I know we have millions of listeners. We don't want to get sued. Um, he refused to work with John Landis after the Twilight Zone movie that came out in 1983, where uh, Vic Morrow and these um, two actors, actresses, these two kids were killed in a helicopter accident when uh, the helicopter was not supposed to be flying that high. Yeah, but he because he wanted to get the shot. Um, Something had happened, and the helicopter fell on Vic Morrow and these two actors, and like decapitated Vic Morrow, and it and it brought up a huge issue in Hollywood. And Spielberg, you know, he was like, "You, you can't be doing this, John Landis. Like you're responsible for this because it was one of those situations to where I'm going to raise the helicopter one inch." Like, maybe it's helicopters. Maybe they shouldn't be in Hollywood movies. It'd be funny if Hollywood banned helicopters. Started using jetpacks? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's fucked up, man. And, yeah, so I don't know a whole lot about John Landis, but, anyways. Yeah, so, love the special effect when the can hit the uh, dude in the head. Um, And, yeah, what's worse than fucking dying getting hit in the nuts by a soft drink can that's going 100 miles an hour before you die. It's enough you're going to fucking die, but then your testicles got to explode first. Well, then the steamroller runs over the kid? Yeah. Holy shit. And, you know, we talked about it when I said the movie wasn't scary, and this is part of it. Is obviously a large part of it. Well, all of it falls on King, right? And the way it was filmed. The deaths are cool. Some of the deaths are cool. Although we get a lot of trucks running people over and it just becomes the same death over and over. And why do you watch horror movies where a lot of people die? And so you can see people die in different ways. Not so they can all get hit, but with the deaths, they're filmed in a way to where you're just like, just fucking move, just move out of the way. And you I, won't die. There's no tension because there's so much time to where a reasonable person could get out of the way. And apparently only Emilio Estevez and Curtis possess the power to move out of the way of a slow moving vehicle. I think you're short tripping Deke. Well, yeah. Well, poor Deke, man. Deke had it worse than anybody, right? Loses his father. And then the machines have this perversion against him where they chase him all across fucking town to where a lot, like you said, the lawnmower starts chasing him. And I just want to point this out because of direction, it's important, Stephen King, since you thought you could do fucking better. The lawnmower chases him. It's a slow moving lawnmower, like you said. Deke's already. So far away from him in one scene. Then when you come to the next scene, the lawnmower is close to being right on his ass, but then starts losing ground again. 
Like, come on. Yeah, and that's and that is like just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to this movie and and King not just he he just I don't know if it was he wasn't up to the task as a director or the the demons. Well, but, answer me this because Coke or not, how the fuck do you get killed in your car by a power window? They're not moving know. that fast. You couldn't pull your fucking head out. And why are well, you trying to cl- why are you trying to climb out the window? Well, there's a lady who was killed by a fucking hairdryer. Yeah. How's that fucking happen? Because they're not self-propelled. Like all the deaths we see, well, some of the vehicles are self-propelled, but it's because they're controlling themselves, right? They have a means to move. The trucks have axles, they have engines that move them. The knife, when it cut old girl's arm, only cut her because she put her wrist within range of it and then it started vibrating and it cut her, right? It wasn't like it sprouted legs and chased her like in some kind of fucking cartoon. Like, come here, bitch. I'm about to cut your, you know. So how's a fucking hair dryer kill somebody? Unless your hair, and it's a dryer, so it's blowing outward. So I still don't fucking see it. It looked like it strangled her. How? It's not a Again, fucking transformer. It's 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 funny, though, because King has a cameo at the very beginning of the movie. He's getting oh, yeah. money out of the ATM. Yeah, I watched it with a... I watched this one last night for this episode and I watched it with a buddy of mine from work and we watched it on actually on Amazon prime. Cause you can do party watch. You know, if both people have prime, you have a watch party and we watched it and that's like, Hey, that's Stephen King. He's probably stoned. Yeah. And, and I love how, um, the ATM says, uh, asshole, yeah. also an asshole. <laughs> but the it's first like, it's like they trouble. had, Hey, it's like they had an advanced copy of the movie and they've already fucking reviewed it. It's like Stephen King knew he was kind of an asshole. That too. Well, I like the first sign of trouble. Like once the, the comet passes Earth, the first sign of trouble where we're at in North Carolina, where this movie's at, not Maine, which is odd for Stephen King because everything is in very Maine. odd. Very odd. When there was a sign on the bank, <laughs> it just started saying, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> and you I'm, know what? Hey, side note. Who made who? It's a decent ACDC song. Well, I don't, yeah, I'm glad you brought up the music. I don't dislike the soundtrack. Um, and they actually used a lot of instrumental work in the movie, you know, and it was okay. I don't, and I go through phases with a, I go through phases with ACDC. Uh, my opinion of ACDC will never change though, is that they read a lot of songs about the same subject. A lot of their songs sound the same. But they do have some good songs. I mean, like I said, Who Made Who? It's a pretty catchy song. I like Back in Black. The movie did miss an opportunity with a music cue, though. At one point, one of the characters literally says, Hell's Bells. And guess what doesn't fucking play? Well, it Hell's eventually Bells. does. But oh, eventually, but not then, and not within like 15 minutes of him saying that. Like, dude, just... It was there, right? Like you worked the name of the movie into the dialogue and had a character say maximum overdrive, but you can't play Hell's Bells when somebody mentions Hell's Bells. Also, did you notice at the very beginning of the movie when the when the drawbridge is going up and carnage ensues? Yeah. <laughs> Motherfuckers were, flying through windshields. There were slight zero, incline. Zero heroes. <laughs> 
on that bridge. <laughs> like nobody was helping anybody. No. Well, I just thought it was fucking hilarious that like when the people started flying through the windshield, they were flying with the speed of somebody like no, having a head on collision. You talk about stunt doubles like you should be getting paid extra for they were fucking going at it. Like, and then the one ACDC thing that, van. Did you notice that? Yeah, yeah, right. Well, I also noticed that ACDC had ACDC had special font in the mm-hmm. opening credits. Like everybody else has got New Times Roman or some shit like that. Not ACDC. Oh. No. But uh, and then on the bridge scene, man, when everybody's you know fucking flying through windshields, they try to make out like the person that has it the worst is the one that gets thrown off the bridge. That dude's oh, got, got the did. best. He got away from all the trouble. You would assume. Well, uh, hopefully that slow moving hey. fucking boat didn't turn and run him over. But no, hey, in this movie, he, could he swim. No, in this movie, he probably sat there in horror. It was like, ah, there's a boat turning slowly. No. Then five minutes later, I'm dying. It's killing me. <laughs> oh, and there was speaking of music. This is just so typical of this movie. Did you notice the cheap psycho score ripoff? Mm-hmm. Every time Holy there was like shit. a every time there was yes. an attack, it's like wah, 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 wah. And and Pat Hingle's character who plays uh Hendershot. What a stupid who, fucking name. Hendershot. Well but yeah, yeah. He also wants like people to work for free. Yeah, because he's employed in nothing nothing but a bunch of fucking convicts. Yeah, it's like you're gonna go back to jail, boy, unless you work and don't let me pay you. And he he says something. I don't know if it's to Emilio Estevez or if it's to one other indentured servant he has. Right. He's like, I don't give a ladybug. And I'm like, I've never heard that before. I don't give a ladybug. I feel like I feel like this movie for Emilio Estevez is an audition for Young Guns. He's working on his fucking, like, his steely gaze, you know. Southern he's, accent. He's working on his southern accent, which, you know, being two southern guys. <laughs> I've lived in North Carolina. There may be some, and my mom's family uh, is, is probably close to being hillbillies. Or, you know, I don't know, actually. I, I say that, and I kid. But the one thing that kills me in these movies when they try to persuade Southern, Southern people is the over-exaggeration of the accent, you know? And this movie was bad about it with everybody, except for, I guess the, uh, um, Brett, because she's hitchhiking. She's coming from where they don't have. She, she has to be coming from Maine, right? Yeah. It's gotta be like Bangor or Castle Rock where people yeah, are. That's gotta be the connection. But it'd be less of is like, you want me to, Work eight hours or work nine hours and only get paid for nine? You've must have lost your goddamn mind. So Pat Engel's character is paying him an extra hour now. No, work for nine to get paid for eight. I'm sorry. Whatever. Yeah. And then he's like, you know what this X means, boy? It means if you don't do it, I say you're fucked and you're going back to the big house. Hey, listen, Bill, I've got a uh, an artillery down in the basement. Uh, that I'm preparing for King George to invade us. Do you want to fuck with me? Dude, and about the fucking artillery. When um, 
Brett asked him about ask uh, Bill Robinson or Billy Robinson or whatever the fuck you want to call him. She's like, how do you think he got it? He's like, I think he paid for it. Just like people like him do. He just buys things. <laughs> like, uh, okay. Maybe he's a gun smuggler. I don't know. I mean, he fucking has an arsenal. And once again, another example of HD ruining old movies. And I say ruin. They're, you know, if a movie's good, a movie's still good. The special effects aren't going to change that, right? But at one point, he fires the rocket launcher at a truck, right? Not Emilio, but uh, Mr. Hendershot. Yeah, I'm sorry. I had to. Pat Hingle. He was Commissioner Gordon in Batman 89. I had another, another movie that HD fucked. I had to burp, man. I, you know, I'm drinking this rum. And, but anyways, he takes the fucking he takes the fucking bazooka, he fires it, and at no point do you see the rocket come out. He fires, <laughs> and then the truck blows up. the back. Yeah, and the truck blows up. I love that it never crossed these assholes' minds to use the guns against the fucking truck's tires. Oh, well, apparently you don't even have to do that because at the end of the movie when uh, Curtis and um, Brett step out and shoot the ice cream truck, hey, five bullets in the oh, grill, and that motherfucker flips up in the air exploding. Dude, it looked like something from The Dark Knight. <laughs> like you just half expected Heath Ledger to walk out of it, you know? <laughs> and I loved like, I don't know, just I miss the days when you could just put porn on walls. Oh, yeah. And full... Full nudity porn on walls. And it was just like, yeah, this is my porn collection on my wall. So did you get the feeling that Bill lived at the truck stop? I got the feeling that Bill didn't have much going on. Yeah. But I mean, I felt like he was living at the fucking truck stop, man. He had a little like. I mean, he had a bed there. Yeah. To to where he could go fuck. And, you know, when random hitchhikers come by and we're just like first fucking met. Right. And she's like, you're cute. And then he says something. I can't remember what it was, but then she's like, you're not that cute. But yeah. anyways, let's go to your bed and fuck. I know everybody's well, I mean, dying around us and shit's hitting the fan, but let's get sweaty. Well, this is 1986 Emilio Estevez. I mean. He did have it. He had that steely gaze, but one thing I did notice, his eyes look sunk in. You know, I don't know. You know maybe he's having a hard oh, time. Oh, it couldn't be. It couldn't be that King was sharing that Coke with him, could it? I don't know. Possibly. Oh. Or maybe he just couldn't make sense of this fucking script. Who knows? I like the newspaper headline that you see in the movie. Here's what it says verbatim. Comet arrives. Millions watch. Fascinated. (laughs) (laughs) Who's the wordsmith that came up with that headline? (laughs) Exactly. And how much did they get paid? Because I need that job. I can manage that. Restaurant opens. People eat food. I mean, that's it, right? Full. You can yeah. end with full. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. And who Brett hitched a rod with? Gropey McGrope face? Yeah. Like, then, he could have started the Me Too movement. But then they're like, let's go save this dude. No, let that piece of shit die. Oh, fuck him. Yeah. But, oh, oh, and speaking of which, I'm man, telling you, Curtis wanted to die. Curtis had a death wish. Oh, yeah. Well, he, he realized he fucked up. Yeah. Uh, Curtis, don't you go out there and make me a widow on my wedding day. <laughs> Fuck you, bitch. <laughs> I'm running out in front of the Green Goblin. 
Dear Lord, just let me get hit by this one truck, please. I done fucked up. But apparently Lisa's over there praying even harder. Dear Lord, don't let Curtis die. We got a lifetime together. <laughs> On IMDb, it's it said that like Yardley Smith. Is that her name? Yeah, I think so. I know it's Yardley. Yeah. She like regrets this movie. <laughs> like, I think out I of think her entire career. Every, I yes. think everybody does. Well, everybody does. Emilio should, because he did have some other movies. Uh, but come on, Yardley Smith. What else did you do? You did fucking Herman's Head. I mean. Yeah, I mean, really. I mean. If it wasn't for Lisa's, and this is not a knock. It's just, is it is what it is. But if it wasn't for Lisa Simpson and fucking 89 years of The Simpsons, who would care? No, and I mean, we're talking about this movie. So, I mean, yeah, it's an embarrassing movie, but there's something to it. Yeah, well, with this performance in this movie, I could see her future. It's called B movies. Maybe C. I like how she asked Curtis, like, like, you know, when they stop at the first gas station and Curtis gets out and he sees the dead body. And then a truck tries to kill Curtis and he's laying there and she's still in the car. And she's like, Curtis, are you dead? Are you dead? <laughs> yeah, I had that in my notes, too. Like, come on. I mean, if I was Curtis, I'd have been like, yes. Yes. Go live a happy life without me. <laughs> Remember and, me as we were. But this is coming from Stephen King, right? Like, not Curtis, are you okay? Yeah. Curtis, are you dead? Yeah, I know, I know. Oh, fucking speaking of the Simpsons, dude. Did you notice when the person said, eat my shorts? Yep. Here's something that stood out to me, too, right? The radio's going. The fucking people on the radio are like, hey, machines are acting fucking crazy. Don't trust machines. Well, then how the fuck is the radio working? How I know. The, how the I fuck are the they getting thing. to send this message out? Like, yeah. why did the fucking uh, little knobs on the uh, mixer not shoot up and hit the guy in the face or something? Because apparently a hairdryer can kill a bitch. So why is the soundboard not killing this dude? An arcade machine can electrocute a guy through wood, which doesn't conduct electricity. But their machines are letting this guy send a warning to everybody else. I thought the same thing. I'm like, ooh, they're playing loose and fast with these rules, aren't they? Which they do, because the cars aren't out to kill anybody. Like, yeah, it's just fucking big rigs. It seems like a car would be a more effective tool since they can get up speed faster. Yeah. Like if you had to run over 90 people in a line, then you need the Green Goblin. But if you just need one person ran over, then what's wrong with a fucking Taurus or a Mustang well, the, or an F-150 <clears throat> or a Jeep or a van? Can we also can we also acknowledge how stupid the trucks are? That they drove they around in a circle? Circling. Yes. Burning gas. Yeah. And then they're like, ah, oh, shit. Feed me, Seymour. <laughs> The Aurora Borealis at this time of day. (laughs) Right. And then fucking Emilio and all his infinite wisdoms like, yeah, let's do it because that one can call in a napalm truck. But we suspect them of not honoring their agreement and turning on us. Right. Well, if you suspected them of not honoring the agreement, then why the fuck fill them up in the first place? 
Yeah. God damn it, Emilio. You were smarter than young guns. And you had tiny wrists. But before we move to that, remember when uh, Emilio went into the bathroom or Billy Robinson went into the bathroom and Joey was in there taking a shit? Yeah. That's the worst fucking shit in the history of shits, dude. That man's asshole was exploding. Well, he's been eating like. Come on. He's been eating like truck stop food for like 10 years. Look, I'm lactose intolerant. So and and like an idiot, I'll still eat Mexican food covered in fucking cheese and I'll eat ice cream because who the fuck cares? (laughs) And, And I'll take some nasty shits, right? But I ain't got nothing on fucking Joey. Joey was ass blasting for like a good five minutes. And it was like, you, usually that's the front side of your shit when you, when you blow it out. Right. And it's like, <laughs> that shit went on and on. I, d- I just want to say how great of a podcast this is right now. It's funny though, because like I was listening to it I was watching a movie when my family was asleep. So, and it was late at night and the shit so woke him up. No, 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 no. Well, well, the thing about it is I keep, I keep the subtitles on. Me too. For everything. Just so I couldn't hear the notes. shit. I just saw the red. I just read the description. It's like splurt, splash, fart ash, noises. And a- ash cheeks <laughs> flapping together. Yeah. Uh, fucking Joey, man. All right. So, yeah. Joey taking the fucking nasty shit ever. You know, blah, blah, blah. Emilio pumps him for information because... Of course, Joey's going to give it away while he's on a crapper. They have an arsenal. They grab a bunch of guns. They fucking feed the trucks gasoline for no apparent reason because you know they're going to turn against them. And they do. But before that, we have the fucking little vehicle with the machine gun mounted on it roll up and start shooting people. And now he kills Mr. Hendershot, who deserved to die, although I don't think his death was enough because he was a despicable piece of shit. Yeah, he was worse than the trucks. Yeah, he should have had a better death than getting shot with some bullets. Like, he should have died like uh, the neighbor, and it fucking escapes me right now, but um, Herman Munster in Pet Cemetery. Pet Cemetery. He got his Achilles tendon cut, you know? Like, sometimes death is better. He died a horrible death. Mr. Henderson, and he was a likable guy. Mr. Hendershot, who's a piece of fucking shit, didn't die a horrible death. But anyways, the fucking machine gun's going off, man. Mr. Hendershot dies. And then he shoots some, the machine gun shoots some more people. But here's my thing. After you saw this one motherfucker get turned into Swiss cheese, why haven't the rest of you motherfuckers hit the ground? Like, what, three other people die because they're still standing there. And they're just like, ah, bop, 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 bop. Okay. So maybe you see the first person die and you're like, okay, that's it. Maybe it's not going to kill me. But once you see that second person get gunned down, it's time to hit the ground, right? Well, I was going to put this in my synopsis notes. And, you know, like I, I told you off the air, like doing these synopsis were, was kind of tough for me. Just, I don't, for, for whatever reason, Repo Man is, is, is what it is. But I was going to put in these notes. Um, I think Judy, the waitress, mm-hmm. who gets attacked earlier with the electric knife. We made you. Yeah. Was she? Re- it sounded like she was reciting the ACDC lyrics. Who made who? We made you. 
we made you. And I love her character walking out. And for the the only plot point that you could come up with is the reason why that she basically went on a suicide mission was because she forgot that there was going to be only one female character to live through it all. So she had to die because there couldn't be two female characters. I mean, it's very much the Highlander. There can be only one. There can be only one. But ACDC is doing the soundtrack to this movie. So fuck you, Queen. You can't be in it. Well, I mean, we can both agree um, from our conversation yesterday, last podcast that we recorded. You can check it out on iTunes and Spotify and Podbean. Um, yeah, Queen. Overrated Hall of Fame. <laughs> yeah. Band. Hey, so fuck you, Vulture. <laughs> fuck you with your take on Queen. And fuck you with your take on Tom Petty and Heartbreakers. And fuck you, Mike's book review. Uh, that part's not true. I like Mike's book review. Anyways. And... You may not get that reference because I had to cut that part of the podcast because it's audio <laughs> issues, but we love you, Mike. It's the deepest of cuts. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so the third act of this movie, with the exception of the very end of the movie, at least to me anyways, was them just fucking pumping gas. No, and it was a, the way it was filmed. It was like one day. Yeah. These motherfuckers couldn't handle pumping gas. Emilio, for like eight es- hours. Emilio Estevez was falling out after one day. Ah, I'm spent. <laughs> Tell my family I said hello. It's a little and we forgot humor. to mention Deke's dad worked at what was it? Dixie's. I don't even remember the name to be honest. Dixie's son. Possibly. Deke's dad worked there, and he was like the first casualty. He uh. As as most want to do when handling a, a, a gas nozzle or a gun is to peer down the barrel. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Well, that was before shit hit the fan. So I guess like he's probably done that a million times. Zeke's dad, though, or Deke, not Zeke. Zeke was in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Deke. Or no, Deke was in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Oh, fuck. Who's who? Who made who, Josh? Who who made who? <laughs> the kid. I'll just refer to him as that. The kid's dad. Deke. Deke. All right. So it's two Deeks. If we get one more, it'll be a triple Deke, and it'll be just like from another Emilio Estevez movie, The Mighty Ducks. Mm. Anyways. When are we doing that podcast? <laughs> Never. Fuck you, hockey. No, I don't have anything against hockey, but. Deke's dad is the only person I think that died, I guess, other than um, Kendershot and Sleazeball. But he died doing something that we would all do, right? We're both fathers. And if our child was out there, we'd want to go save our child, right? But I love how, like, there are zero heroes in this movie at certain points. Except. They could have taken his dad aside and be like, look, we'll go look for him. I can't see. It had been long enough since I seen this movie that I thought that's what Emilio Estevez was going to do. But alas, it was not to be. And then Brett shows up and calls him hero for what reason? What did he do to be called hero? Oh, those blue eyes. I guess. 
But yeah, the third act of the movie is them pumping fucking gas for machines that are about to turn against them. So why did you give them gas? You already suspected that because you were crawling through the fucking shit to get away from them. And then, yeah, you, you, you fucking hit on it. You talked about the Green Goblin truck. And I feel like these trucks needed names. There should have been names on the side of them so we could have you know, had a name to put to our villains. But somehow, in a movie full of 18-wheelers, he was the leader. I mean, he'd look the coolest. Oh, he did. Because that classic Green Goblin look was amazing. That was one of the best talking comic books here. Oh, can, can we talk 80s comic books? Well, I mean, the Green Goblin had that look for a long time. Norman Osborn. But Wolverine, the Wait. the brown and yellow. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Was, yeah. It, no, was it brown and yellow? His original colors were blue and yellow. Then he went to the brown and yellow, which was big Which is here. my favorite. Yeah, and that was um, that was the same colors he used during the Mark Silvestri run of Wolverine comics, which is about the time I started reading. Yes, that fucking Green Goblin costume. He had that costume for the longest time, that like purple and green. Oh, it's so good. And you know what? So good. We differ on our opinions of the Spider-Man movies, and maybe we talk about them at a later date. But I will say one thing I disliked about the Spider-Man movies was the fucking Green Goblin costume. I like William Defoe fine, but that costume, fuck right off with that. That was horrible. Well, that was not the problem with that movie for me, but I get why you would say that. Because Well, and I think what movies struggle with a lot of times is they want to make their reasoning is they want to make something accessible to a larger audience. But the reason this movies get certain movies get made is because they already have an audience, right? Spider-Man had an audience, but studios know they're going to get that audience in the theaters though. Yeah. But then those people turn against you and then eventually you have a Spider-Man three, but it doesn't matter because you've already hooked the four year old who's buying the toys. And anyways, but that, fuck, I mean, fuck you for that green goblin costume. Because that purple and green was sweet. No, it was. It looked so good. Like, mm-hmm. I, I I clicked on, and I don't give a shit. Me and you were talking. You, had, I mean, I don't know. I clicked on a, um, I, I searched for it. I Googled it, actually. Um, it's a free plug there, Google. Because <laughs> you need it. You need it, you sons of bitches. We just raised I your stock price. Like, there we go. Um, I clicked on like 100 greatest comic book artwork like um front page you know and you just scroll through these comic books man and like i don't know like i was too young to actually fully appreciate the comics that i had in the 80s you know i liked them because the artwork yeah which is what drew most of us to them yeah yeah and some of these man like just seeing some of these classic characters you know and a lot of it was Marvel, you know. Some of mm-hmm. it was DC, but a lot of it was. But I was always, I always leaned towards Marvel. Well, during you know, like late eighties, early nineties, Marvel had the best artists. They had Mark Silvestri, they had Jim Lee, they had Todd McFarlane, they had Rob Liefeld. Um, they had uh, even later on after that, they still had people that were like they just had better artists. It was also like, yeah, the the artwork, obviously, and just, but the way these characters, I don't know, it was just something about like the 80s in general wasn't afraid to go with different colors. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. 
Brown for Wolverine. I know I, I keep going back to that, but now they would never put a comic book character in Brown. Well, no, you had that that you had that run where Brian Singer released X Men, where everything was in fucking leather. Is that's what everybody wears in real life is fucking leather. We're into the bondage club. Just throw some leather on. Fucking hit me with this whip. You know, it's kinky. Whatever. Hey, speaking of last week, last night's episode. Yeah. But, yeah, exactly, man. Where there's a whip, there's a way. You know what I'm saying? Except that it you know what co- I'm saying. It, it would have been a colorful whip in the 80s. In the 90s and the 2000s, it would have been <clears> black. And it's the same thing that NFL teams suffer from. Or sports teams, not just NFL, where everybody wants to have black in their colors. Yeah, Dude, it's the weak. It's, it's so weak. Yeah, you know who fucking has black in their colors? The Steelers. The Raiders. Raiders. Yeah. Those guys have black. Man, Rams, you don't need fucking black. Arizona Cardinals, you don't need black. Red and white, that's your color. The Falcons? Like, used to be red and white. You know, it was cool. Um, Man, if they went back to that. It's overused. And and I get that. Because, I mean, I like black. It goes with everything, right? But you can overuse it. To the point where it's just like, what's unique about this team? I, you know, I hate, I don't, I don't like the Seattle Seahawks new uniforms they came out with, but I will give them credit for this. They didn't fucking use black. They went neon. They went bold. It's not for me, but at least they stayed away from black. It's way too collegiate for me, but I will, I will give them credit for not going black. But I, I mean, hey, it sucks, but the Steelers and the Raiders beat you to it. That's their colors. And, and it fucking fit the Raiders, right? And the Saints. And the well, yeah, Saints. Yeah, the Saints. I forgot about the Saints. But yeah, but the fucking Raiders, man, it fit their personality. But anyways. And the Bengals, kind of. Yeah, red, white, black. Yeah. But everybody. But yeah, the Cardinals, they have no goddamn reason. Everybody didn't need it. And yet everybody's trying to do it now. And it's, you know, find a different color. But yeah. You know, the fucking comics and all that, you know, getting drawn in by the artwork. And I think that's what is the first thing that attaches or not attaches, but brings most people into comics is the artwork. Because, you know, most of us start reading comics when we're a kid, right? So it's not necessarily the writing. And there's some fantastic writing out there. But it's not the writing that draws you in first. That's what gets you when you get a a little bit older. You get to be an adult. But it's the artwork. And... Yeah, who was fucking bigger than Jim Lee and Todd McFarlane in the nineties? Nobody. And Marvel had those guys. Although, I will tell you a personal favorite of mine, and he went and he joined Image too, was Sam Keith. Did Marvel Comics Presents? He did these disproportionate bodies. I just loved it. It was such a good to me. It was unique. I loved it. And then he made the Max with Image, but fantastic artwork. Yeah, uh, it sounds like a another friend we could have on if we're going to talk about this stuff. Yeah, um, and it's not out of the realm of possibility. So we, I mean, we're, we're getting like to the end of the movie, right? And you know, we've talked about how Stephen King struggles with endings. Stephen King loves some fucking aliens, and I already mentioned that you know, fucking Emilio starts you know talking about aliens at one point when he's talking to Brett. You know, and he's like, eh, what about aliens? Blah, 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 blah. And she's like, hey, just give me the dick. I just want to have sex. And he's like, no, baby, listen to me. And then. No, oh, this is from when he was suffering from heat exhaustion after working for five hours. Yeah, right. 
did a little hard labor and he's like, no, fuck this bro. I'm out. So <laughs> they fucking, they make their way towards the boat, you know, which is, I guess the answer to all their problems, which I now say this, you know, couldn't you just go into the fucking woods? I mean, and you're in North Carolina, so you're in mountain country. You could have just went up a fucking hill and camped out away from fucking technology. You didn't have to go to a boat. Well, in my mind, I knew how it ended in my mind because it'd been so long. They just, they didn't even go to a sailboat. They just went to a boat with a motor because they were dumb shits. Oh, yeah. Who filled up the people. Could you imagine if like Michael Myers was after to kill you and then like he's fading and you're like, oh, Mikey, uh, come on in. Let me fix you a, a three course breakfast. Yeah. So you could have some sustenance. Right. Yeah. They they get to their fucking sailboat that Emilio was talking about, you know, and then of course the ice cream chuck shows up and you know, uh Curtis and well, even before then, I, I forgot, uh Deke has his moment where he shoots something and then he's like, Here, I don't want this gun anymore. The threat's not over, motherfucker. Hold on to the gun. No, they tried to give him an arc, and it was so funny because, like, it was a it was a fast food place drive through. There was like humans here, humans here, and deep before he shoots, he's like, "This is for my father." Yeah, and you killed him with cholesterol, and then he's like, "This is my for my father," and then he's done with the violence. Yeah, but the hardest part to believe is even if they're in North Carolina and they're near the Mariana or. or wherever they're at is that any of these look I'm more with these guys than I am the other side so I'm hating on me yeah but you put me in a sailboat you put these rednecks from a truck driver in a sailboat what are we gonna do we're just gonna float (laughs) I mean (laughs) what the fuck do I know what the fuck do these guys know about a sailboat we're going to an island six miles off the coast Josh and Our the, best bet would be to swim if you're if I'm the pilot. And what gets me, man, is the fucking Green Goblin is so intent on killing this group of people out of all the people in the United States that he chases them to the boat. And then, of course, they uh, blow him up with a rocket launcher or a bazooka. No, he hates these assholes. And then, like I said, you find out in the fucking... Well, credit scroll. Oh man, Russian weather satellite shoots down UFO. Six days later, or seven days later, however many days later, the world goes back to what it was. So, what caused it? A comet or UFOs? Exactly. I mean, like, if these aliens are advanced enough to control comets, then I don't necessarily know that they need them to come and purge us. What you fucking think about maximum overdrive? Oof, this movie does not age as well as you would think it does. It is, I mean, as someone who I'm not even a fan of his movies, and even after reading The Stand, I still couldn't recommend that book to people because it just, it the, he, the third act just falls straight off a cliff. The first two acts are really good. <sighs> This has got to be Stephen King at his lowest, right? Maybe 
professionally and, you know, uh, as a human. Yeah, this movie was pretty bad. Um, I found myself bored at times. I'm like you. I remembered it more fondly than what I should have. And I think a large part of that was due to the Green Goblin truck. You know, I just, you know, a kid reading comics. That's cool. An adult who still reads comics from time to time. Not as cool. Uh, I can appreciate a movie for what it was, for what it is. And this movie's bad. A movie like this is going to have something going for it because it's not going to be the scares. It's not going to be the plot. And in that case, it has to be the kills. But the kills were a lot of people just getting ran over. <clears throat> Outside of a, like one or two kills that kind of stood out, the rest of them are just kind of like, eh. I will say this. Being stuck for a week at a uh, truck stop, not the worst place to be. Yeah. No. There's beer, cigarettes. Truck stop food. Imagine being stuck at the worst place. Imagine being stuck at an auto parts store for a week. Yeah, that'd be the worst. Yeah. Or a fucking Hobby Lobby. I mean, you got cool shit to kind of mess around with, but there's no food. Yeah. You're going to die. There's no beer. Yeah, exactly. And let's make no bones about it. And I'll give Steve, Stevie King props on this. Um, from the way it was filmed, like the people who were stuck inside this truck stop, they were all getting fucked up all the time. Yeah. <laughs> you just got to them and they're just drinking. It's like, yeah, I'd be doing the same, man. Exactly. All right. So, uh, this movie, uh, like I recommended that you watch repo man. I don't know that I could actually recommend you watching this, but if we're looking at them side by side after one viewing, and I stress that one viewing, I would say maximum overdrive just because it's easier to understand. It's easier to digest. But ultimately, I think Repo Man deserves more viewings and is going to be the better movie. It's just it's going to take a little longer to wrap your mind around. Uh, maximum Overdrive is a forgettable movie outside of the Green Goblin truck. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think Repo Man invite you to watch it multiple times and I think there's a lot of subtext there and a lot of things to, to seek your teeth into and there are moments in Repo Man to where I, I did get kind of bored as well Yeah, might have been my mindset but it is what it is Maximum Overdrive you just need to watch um, I would suggest anybody watching it because you can literally see almost almost the coke residue on the fucking camera throughout this movie. I mean, it is Stephen King at his most blown out um, period of his life. You know, after this, he ended up writing misery to, to deal with um, addiction. And you can see it because it's just incoherent. And uh, the rumor on the internet is that George Romero actually, directed a lot of this movie because Stephen King was too fucking out of his mind. And so watch it because that's kind of movie history, you know, just the King of horror tries to direct a movie and it's an epic, epic, epic and utter failure. Yeah. I, um, uh... Oh, between the two, which, uh, which one did you recommend? 
Oh, Repo Man. Hands yeah. down. I, I will say to Stephen King's credit, he realized what a disaster this was. Once again, it's probably after he got clean. But he he swore off ever directing the film again because he realized it's harder than what it seems. And maybe he should scale back on his criticism of people. But yeah, it um, it's made. It's a part of history. And, eh, you know, whatever. But I mean, then he immediately. I mean, it didn't. It didn't scale him back though. I, well, I wasn't because talking he, about immediately. Was, I was talking about later on. Well, he was so adamant on making his own version of The Shining. Yeah, with Stephen Weber. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. But yeah, um, sometimes lessons are hard to learn. And it takes a while. Uh, that is it for this Emilio Estevez bonanza. Extravaganza, Bonanza, Cornucopia, whatever you want to call it. Repo Man versus Maximum Overdrive. It looks like we're both in agreement. Repo Man is the play. Check it out. We appreciate you for listening to this episode. Thank you as always. Josh loves you. We'll see you next time. Check out our website, veryunreasonablethings.com. We have a Facebook page, which is Very Unreasonable Things. We're on Podbean iTunes and Spotify. Josh, any final words? Yeah, I just want to give a shout out to your stepdad, Steve Wozniak. If you're listening, buddy, I love you. God damn it. It's not Steve Wozniak, and you gave him a shout out the last episode. It's and Co- I'm gonna give him another shout out. It's nope. Wachowiak. Don't it's Wozniak. It's not Wozniak. And you're gonna leave it in. All right. Thank you for listening, everyone. See you next time.